I honestly feel like this has been a positive in the sense that I've been home for dinner every night. My gym's been closed, so I've been walking to and from the office every day, giving me time to think and some alone time. And I haven't been this happy in a long time. I really feel like, you know, it's all about context, putting this into context. And um, we're going to come out from this. There's a blip in the radar. And uh, I wouldn't bet against America. On today's episode of Further Faster, our special guest is the founder and CEO of Big Construction, Tony Ionessa. After spending his childhood summers working as a concrete laborer, Tony has spent his entire career in the Chicago construction industry. He founded Big Construction in 2016 and has since been awarded high-profile tenant interior projects throughout the city. Hey, Tony, how are you? Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you coming on today. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, guys, for uh, thinking of me. Yeah, of course. Well, your growth of big is obviously something that um, is, is super inspiring, and we've we've been good friends for a long time. And um, I want to go back to kind of your you growing up, and you know, and how you got into this business, and maybe some of the things that inspired you to get into the construction side of the industry. Yeah, well, first of all, congrats on Madison Rose. Uh, really excited to see you out doing your own thing. I. Uh, I hope I had a little bit of inspiration in that. I think uh, you did. The entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial spirit is uh, is alive and well, and it's it's awesome to see that. So I uh, wish you guys the best of luck, and I know you'll do great. We picked uh, a good so, time. We, we picked a good time to start. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Tons of tons of massive long term deals out there. Right? We're doing um, a lot. We're doing a lot of one year extensions right now, but it's keeping us busy. Hey, I, I hear you. It's, it's work is work. Peanuts feed the elephant, right? Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> so believe it or not, I've been in and around construction since uh, pretty much I was, I was able to work. So I've been, I worked for a home builder in Oak Park, renovating old homes in the summers in high school. I, uh, when I graduated high school, I joined the laborers. I worked for a concrete cutting company for three summers uh, while I was attending Indiana, Indiana University and uh, really, really worked my butt off and learned a lot about the industry and learned that the college education was was best for me because that is tough work, man. There is, there's not a lot of people that, uh, that really understand how difficult these, these guys have it. And they, they work their butts off and I really, uh, I'm, I'm, we're fortunate to have those, the guys in the trades building the city for us. I got to see that firsthand and I wasn't cut out for uh, the concrete world. So I went, I went back to college. Uh, I, I interned for a, a large electrical subcontractor here in Chicago my last summer in college and learned how to read blueprints and sort of just how the, the, the business of construction was run. And then from there, I got an opportunity to work at Clune Construction. So I learned uh, from some of the best guys in the business over there and um, I was there for four years, and I did just about every job there apart from uh, accounting and finance. I was estimating project management um, and really learned from Mike Kloon and all the wonderful things he's done for the industry. And then I went over to Leopardo for uh, about six years, and uh, when I left there, I was the youngest vice president in company's history and got to go through a lot of uh, succession planning and business planning. and. Uh, learned uh, a lot more about how the construction business is run. So um, I've had a tremendous amount of um, 
I've been I've been really fortunate to work with some really great organizations like you, Matt. The entrepreneurial spirit was always kind of chirping in my head, and I think the more I learned about the business, the more I felt comfortable that I could do something better. And it sounds really cliche, but all about disruption. So um, I kind of felt like I. <laughs> I kind of felt like once I learned how the sausage was made, I could probably do it myself. And, um, you know, that was four years ago. And, uh, if I knew what I, if I knew now what I, if I knew then what I knew now, I probably, I don't know if I'd have the, the guts to do it, but, um, I certainly felt at the time, like I knew what I was doing. Was there a void that you saw in the marketplace? Um, you know, obviously the construction industry has players that have been around for generations upon generations. And I feel like it's a, it's an arena um, that is really probably hard to break into, um, for a startup. Was, was there just, was there something you thought that was lacking out, outside of an entrepreneurial spirit that you have? Was, was there something you thought was lacking that you thought you could, um, you know, find some, some sort of edge? Yes. Um, our industry is wrought with status quo, legacy, historical companies, many of which are family owned, um, and, and run. Uh, a lot of the processes haven't really changed in 50 years. Um, so for me, it was, and one of our core values at BIG is that uh, the best idea wins, the status quo is not good enough. So we really don't ever rest on our laurels. We're really open and, and interested in, in doing things differently. Um, I think a huge differentiator for us, Matt, is that, you know, I'm technically uh, a millennial. Um, majority of our team are millennials. And given that we focus in the, you know, corporate office sector, I think uh, in the next couple of years, over 70% of the people that are occupying our built environments are part of our generation, not, um, not the ones prior. So a lot of our clients feel comfortable working with us because we're, you know, the same age. I think that's had a lot to do with it. And so, you know, also, I think something that we do do have a little in common. I mean, I think you guys, you had a lot on your plate when you launched. So 2016, if I'm not mistaken, is when you launched Big Construction. And then I think it was maybe three or four months after that, you had your first child. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I have that right? Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. So June of 16, we just celebrated our four-year anniversary. My daughter, Sophia, was born in September of 16. So uh, I remember like getting on conference calls in, the, in Northwestern at Prentice and disappearing for a few hours to be working on stuff. And um, yeah, that was a crazy time. And then, you know, moving forward a year later, roughly right, July 2017. And, and obviously, I remember it almost like it was yesterday, but um, tell us a little bit about what happened. I know um, your wife, Alex, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, it was around the same time that um, my wife, Gina, was was going through um, breast cancer treatment at the University of Chicago. Um, it was a time that, you know, I think you and I actually became pretty close because um, they were diagnosed with um, the same type of breast cancer, triple negative. Um, and I think um, you, you guys ended up at the same hospital as us. But, you know, you launched your company in 2016. You have a daughter four months later, and then bam, a little bit long, a little after that, you know, you're hit with this. You know, tell me just, you know, we talk about, you know, me launching a company during COVID. 
doesn't seem like anything compared to what you know you had in your plate around you know at, at the early stages of your company. How, how did you? How did you? How did your family cope with that? How did you deal with that? How did you? How did you stay inspired? Yeah. So first of all, thank you to you and Gina for being there when we were really just in information gathering stages because um, you know you get. So here I am, about a year into founding a business. I've got a roughly 10 month old daughter at home, a 12 month old business. <laughs> and uh, I'm driving home from Bobolink one day and I get a call from my wife and she's like, uh, I have breast cancer. And, or actually this, she, the surgeon um, told us together at the same time and I almost crashed my car. Uh, it just doesn't make, it didn't make any sense. I mean, she was like 31, 32 years old. Um, not something you expect to hear. So, you know, we, uh, we went through a really difficult time. I mean, 18 months, probably all said and done um, with all the various treatments and chemotherapy and surgeries. And um, I, I really would be remiss if I didn't say thanks to the folks at University of Chicago that Matt, you and Gina really introduced us to, Dr. J., uh, save my wife's life. And, you know, you look at what's going on with COVID and you look at the riots and it's sort of like, yeah, it's, it's the, the difficult time we're in right now. But I, you know, I kind of look back at those times and I'm not sure it gets much worse than that. So I, I was for a long time there, I was running a business, trying to run a business. I was essentially a single dad because my wife was in bed most of the time and, uh, just trying to stay motivated. So I really, whether it was the right way to do it or not, I compartmentalized things. So when I was at work, I was focused on work. When I was at the hospital with Alex, I was focused on the hospital. Uh, when I was at home with my daughter, I was a father. And, and those were those were the three little boxes that I played in. I mean, there was not a lot of social um, anything for those 18 months. And, you know, thank God, um, actually on my 33rd birthday, I spent in the hospital with my wife. She had her last surgery. So it's March 28th of 2018. Um, not where you want to spend your birthday, but, you know, we kind of left there and we're able to sort of move forward. And um, she's been cancer free for, what, well, almost two years. And, um, you know, we're kind of getting our life back on track only now. And, you know, obviously um, we, we had a similar outcome as, as you guys did. And um, I think it's a testament to how great medicine is today. But, you know, again, wh where was your where did you find that will to push on? Where did you find that will? Because, you know, shortly after this, you know, 2016, 2018, total nightmare of a situation for you. I mean, obviously not having any kids a nightmare, but, you know, being a being a young father and a young company and then, you know, going through what you went through. I mean, that's that is kind of a nightmarish uh, scenario. Um, but. How do you get to a place where in 2019, big construction does, you know, you know, almost $100 million? I mean, how is that possible? Well, I, this is a people business. So I have a great team around me um, with a high level of trust, super capable. And, you know, they really stepped up to support me when I needed them to. and when I was able to, you know, be in the office or focused on work, I was, I was reciprocated, but, you know, I couldn't have done it without those guys, um, you know, helping me out because 
yeah, at the end of the day, you can't have your hands in everything and um, you, you go crazy trying to, to do everything yourself. So this really is a people business. Um, I feel like um, my team really stepped up and <laughs> was there to carry the burden for me when I wasn't able to do it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for them doing that. And one of my questions was going to be what differentiates, you know, big construction, you know, from some of the other larger players in, in town, but it seems like it's, it's the people. Yeah. I mean, look, our, our purpose, our passion is to build meaningful relationships by understanding and addressing the needs, the needs of all stakeholders. I've always felt like um, in any situation, if you have a conversation and you genuinely want to understand where the other person is coming from, what motivates them. And as a service provider, you're trying to come to the table to help kind of appease everybody that even in, even in difficult conversations, people are going to be much more receptive to that. So you know, we kind of start with, um, start with like, why, why are people motivated? Why are, why are, what, what, what motivates our clients? You know, we call them splinters. What's a splinter for our client? What's a splinter for the architect? What's a splinter for the landlord? How do we get in there? And when we walk away, have them say like those, these guys were fantastic. And uh, I'm proud to say that our business is almost entirely word of mouth. We don't even have a salesperson on our team, Matt. Like, we don't have a single person that's out there just taking people out, drinking all night, um, partying with people, taking people to play golf. I mean, it's just purely a reputation, word of mouth growth. I mean, that's incredible. I feel like the, I feel like almost every single company has someone leading business development. Um, and that person's job is entirely to go out and entertain brokers. And, and obviously you and I did a fair share of that. So 2020, um, this is COVID-19 arena. And again, that, that really was the impetus initially of this podcast. And as, as this, this podcast begins to evolve and actually becomes a little bit more just to, you know, talk to people about their stories and what inspires them and how they get to a, a position um, like you've, you know, you've gotten to, and especially in such a short period of time, and it doesn't go out go without saying, obviously you spent, you know, 10 years in the industry, but again, what what you've done from 2016 to 2020 is, 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 is incredibly inspiring is in, in, in something that I think um, very few people can accomplish, but now we're in COVID-19 arena um, talking about how you are prepping for that. I mean, I think the, the goal of the conversation initially was to go through the outline um, that you had sent to some of your clients, but it seems to me that that some of that has changed. Um, tell us a little bit about what you what you guys are doing right now, um, and, and and I definitely want to be cognizant of how much time we have. I, I still want to talk a little bit about you know construction prices and stuff like that as well. But um, tell us what what's taken um, taken up your time right now. Yeah, so I would say like uh, first week of March, second week of March um, when this. COVID situation was really deemed a pandemic, and, and I think it really gained a lot of seriousness uh, across the country. I felt like for the first couple of weeks in March, maybe like that second and third week in March, you know, I was like attending a funeral every day. I was looking at our business in a casket and it had died. And it was just like, people had no idea what to say or do. It was almost a catatonic state for a couple of weeks. I woke up one morning and um, I just decided like I'm done mourning this. This is this is not going to be the death of our business. This is not going to stop us. And I went back to that purpose, our cause. And it's like, okay, we 
we exist to build meaningful relationships by understanding the needs of our stakeholders, what, what do our clients need from us right now? And by and large, all the discussions that we had, clients were like, look, we don't know when we're going to be back in the office, but we will be back in the office. And we don't have a ton of capital to dump into our space to redo everything. What, what are some things we can do quickly, um, limited capital to make our employees feel safer, whether that's for Labor Day or Thanksgiving or July, or whatever it is. So we really spent like two weeks doing homework, um, talking to a ton of different subject matter experts. And we came up with a list of actionable, tangible items with lead times and pricing. And we sent it out to probably 3,000 people. Um, Ryan Ori and that's what I saw, right? that's, Yeah, that's, that's yeah. what you saw. And honestly, I, I, you know, it's been copied. I actually found that now. very helpful. I actually shared that with, you know, <laughs> candidly, the folks at R2 and our construction team. And I, you know, shared it with, um, you know, some of our other clients um, because, Frankly, I, I thought we'll we'll make sure we attach what you you sent out to you know a link of this podcast and we send that out to um, the community just so they they have some reference as what we're talking about. But it, it I found it you know really helpful. That's awesome. Thank you. Took a took a lot of effort. Um, I mean, well, listen, we got calls from people all over the country. We got calls from companies in Canada that had gotten their hands on it. It was pretty it was pretty incredible, frankly. Um, you know, we had some global heads of workplace from some large real estate institutions say like, this is but that all day for a month, all they were doing was reviewing all the stuff that service providers had put out and that ours was the first actionable list of, you know, tangible things that could be done. So we got a, a ton of attention, had a million calls, pricing exercises. I would say that was a good chunk of like probably the last two weeks of April into maybe the first week of May. It was just meeting with new clients, existing clients, talking about how they could get prepared. Everyone was a race. Everyone was in a race to kind of be prepared for June 1st. And then some point, maybe in like the second week of May, third week of May, we started hearing more from more clients that were like, you know, we don't even know if we're coming back until Labor Day. And now it's like, you know, you get the Jack Dorseys of the world out there saying, hey, my, my Twitter folks can work from home forever. Um, and almost... In a matter of a couple of weeks, it went from a race to be first to a race to be last. So while we had a ton of attention and, uh, you know, the Tribune ran our story and a bunch of other great things happened, we, you know, we've, we've heard from our clients that they're just not ready to do anything yet because they don't know when they're going to be back at the office. So it's patience. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, so the, the, what you're seeing of all your, of your, your existing clients is, 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 is patience, which is essentially what we're seeing, you know, on the landlord side with all of our tenants doing one year restructures or 18 month restructures. It's, it's being patient. It's not making any jerk reactions. So it went initially to, you saw a lot of your clients wanting to make knee jerk reactions, wanted to re prepare immediately until now is more of, okay, let's take a deep breath. And let's take a step back and let's, let's, let's analyze this, you know, in a few months. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's become that race to the, it's become like not, not a single person wants to be first to reopen. Um, so, you know, for us, it's like, okay, we're here when you're ready to do it. And I think that, you know, like you and I were talking about earlier, I think that, you know, by the end of May, there was an awful lot of, um, momentum there was a ton of positivity just in the overall market 
And then, you know, with the, the riots and the protests and the, uh, the civil unrest, I think some of that confidence kind of went away. And I, you know, I would expect that as confidence grows throughout the course of the summer, people are going to feel more comfortable going back to work. But the solution that still has not been figured out, I think, is childcare. So like if schools are closed and summer camps are closed and there's nowhere for any kids to go, what I keep hearing from our clients is like, hey, we can't expect our people to come in here when they don't have anywhere for their kids to go. So that's that. I think that's where that Labor Day comes in. Yep. Um, you know, ideally schools are open back up by Labor Day. Thus, parents can come back to work. So essentially you were able to successfully win some business um, through what you sent out. Um, but also I think we discussed through Zoom. And we talk about different ways of communication and different ways people are um, adapting to the work from home. And one of the things that came up when we talked last time was that you actually have won some business on Zoom. So just give us a little information and some background on that, just because, um, you know, I, I certainly haven't been involved in any pitches on Zoom. You know, a lot of the calls I've had, I don't know, I just, especially if it's people that I, you know, hadn't met many times before, it was just, it's much simpler just to have a phone conversation, but it seems that you had some pitches on Zoom, you know, talk a little bit about what it was like, you know, trying to, you know, convey your services over, you know, you know, a virtual meeting. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. There's a ton of things working against you, um, you know, just right off the bat. You don't even know, like, uh, you know, generally up until a day or two, like, are we going to use Zoom? Are we going to use BlueJeans? Are we going to use Web, WebEx? Are we going to use another Cisco product? Are we going to use Teams? And all of them have their little intricacies. So um, that's a huge barrier. We had, to, we had to really become proficient in all that stuff. Um, we had a pitch last Thursday with a really large global company and there was probably 20 people on the, on the, uh, I think they use WebEx and, you know, you have your whole presentation put together. You've got several people from your company, you're talking, you're transitioning things. And then all of a sudden, like there's a baby screaming in the background. Everyone's like, is that my kid? <laughs> uh, and you just don't know. And then the night, you know, then it goes on and we actually had somebody call in to what they thought was a standing weekly call during our presentation. It's like, hey guys, so-and-so is here. And you're like, you're, and, and you're, it's like, it's a, it's a comedy of errors. You know, I think people are, um, I think people have learned a lot more empathy. I think seeing people at home with the kids running up and jumping on the, the, the screen is, is, is endearing. Um, definitely not the typical, you know, walk into a big conference room and, and talk about your services to people. Um, it's hard. It's really, really hard to make a connection with somebody through a screen. It's really, really hard to, to differentiate yourself. Um, you know, we've spent a ton of time trying to, to not only understand the different systems, but also tailor our presentation style and flow and communication to be virtual. So it's, uh, it's, it's a new challenge for sure. And then I don't, we're running out of time, construction pricing. So for all the folks that are out of town, um, you know, listening to this, what, what are you, what are you guys seeing right now? What are, so, what are um, where, where is construction pricing gone in the last, you know, three months as, as, as demand is, is shut down, or at least, you know, construction seems to be an industry that always kind of trails three to four months, you know, behind the rest of the real estate market, just 
because you're finishing jobs that may have started, you know, six to six to 12 months before. But, you know, right now it feels like things are drying up, you know, and, and certainly so that's impacting, you know, keeping yourself busy. Where, where, where are the changes you've seen in construction pricing and is, is there a percentage that you can tie to it? Yeah, I would say if you were, it's kind of like if you're a good credit tenant and you want to sign a 10-year deal, right now is a great time to do it. Um, I would also say if you're looking to, if you're a, if you're a client who wanted, wants, wanted to do a project that started June 1st or July 1st or probably even August 1st, you're going to get a huge savings, probably 15% from what you would have spent in March. Um, the Maybe more. So there's a bunch of different reasons why. One, there's definitely a lack of work. There's there's a slowdown. So there's you know the same amount of suppliers and vendors looking for a lesser amount of work. It's a simple supply and demand chain. But there's also the fact that the PPP funds were rolled out. Many of a huge percentage of the PPP money went to construction companies. A lot of these subcontractors, right, wrong, or indifferent, were looking at their payroll essentially for that eight-week period of time as being almost entirely profit. So we saw some crazy pricing coming in. And I think the last component that, you know, adds to this decrease is that there's a lot of large projects in Chicago that, you know, had contractors mobilized and either got canceled or put on hold indefinitely. So now all of a sudden these people have to scramble and go try and relocate their resources. Um, I think uh, trying to forecast out past August is difficult. I, I could see the pricing going down another 15% just as easily as I could see it going up all the way back to where it was or higher. The reason I say it could go higher is because um, there's going to be an influx of projects that either start back up to stuff that was put on hold or maybe something that never even got off the ground is going to get picked back up. And so when you have, you know, tons of projects that are starting to get off the ground at the same time, again, supply and demand, there's going to be higher demand than there is supply, so the pricing will go up. So if you're a tenant out there that wants to build out space, you probably got 60 days to get a smoking deal. I mean, that's that's the amount of time it takes to do space plans, CDs, MEPs. It's going to take much longer than that. Hopefully, we get that's, that's, we, we, that's, we get a little bit of longer window than that. So silver lining, Tony, as we, we, we wrap this up, I man, I feel like you've, you've been a lot, 2016 to 2020, you've – I feel like you've seen it all and your, your company has, has had a tremendous amount of success. Um, you've able, been able to find six, you know, the amount of success you've been able to find in such a short, short period of time, again, um, is, is truly impressive. Um, looking back in the last four years and going through COVID, what, is, is there a silver lining for everything that's been going on the last three, four months? Oh, man, I think so, Matt. Um, I really believe if you're listening to this podcast or, you're on this podcast or you're one of the people in our community, our industry, we're so, we're so much more fortunate than, you know, 99% of the population. Um, there's a lot worse things that are going on in the world than what's uh, a year slowdown in our industry. And look, nobody's getting rich in commercial real estate in 2020. Um, I, I honestly feel like this has been a positive in the sense that I've been home for dinner every night. I've had the opportunity. My gym's been closed, so I've been walking to and from the office every day, giving me time to think and some alone time. And um, I haven't been this happy in a long time. I really feel like, you know, this is a blip in the radar. I feel like uh, spending time, having all this extra time to spend with your family, having dinner at home every night, 
is all good. I mean, there's nothing bad that comes of that. Um, and if, if as a result, you don't make as much money as you did in 2019, then, you know, that, that's a, that's a fair trade off for me. Cause again, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably far more fortunate than the average person. And I think it's, it's all about context, putting this into context. And, um, we're going to come out from this. There's a blip in the radar and, uh, I wouldn't bet against America. 